Hey, everybody. There are three things that we want to tell you about our Zen Parenting Summit. Count them up. Three. Number one, it is free. Free. There's got to be a catch somewhere. It is free. You guys, the last couple of years have been rough, to say the least. And so this summit is a gift to you so you can get the inspiration, the connection, whatever you're looking for right now to feel better about yourself and your parenting. Number two, Todd. Number two. Let's hear it. I have a book coming out. Yes, you do. It's coming out in February. I read it. But within this summit, you and I are going to be talking about this book. We're going to be going over chapters, or should I say chakras, Chakras. inside of the book. And so if you get the book, you not only get extra bonus summit content from us, but you also get entered into a giveaway. Which means you might get a karaoke machine that I use on a weekly basis. He literally does. Okay. Number three. Number three. Please share it. Share. What I mean is the Zen Parenting Summit is free. Did I say that already? And you can share it with anybody who wants support with their parenting right now. We have so many amazing speakers for this summit. Todd, who do we have? Dr. Shafali Sabari, Rosalind Wiseman, Ted Bunch from A Call to Men, Dr. John Duffy, um, and many, many more. Many more. You have got to go to our website, zenparentingradio.com slash resources, and you will see everything there. You will see our podcast. You will see my book. You will see the Zen Parenting Summit. You will see Men Living, which is Todd's organization that he co-founded. You will see um, the ability to um, sign up for my Zen Parenting Moment. Everything is there. So please... Take advantage of this opportunity to learn from so many amazing speakers and to share this opportunity with others. The summit begins on January 31st. And it ends on the 4th of February. All right, sign up. And now here's the show. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 634. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. We already have the title for today's show. Yep. And the title is... A Case for Optimism. I thought it was The Case for Optimism. Is it the or a? The. Let's do the. The Case for Optimism. Um, And you might be like, ooh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to go on a tangent here for a little bit. So if you're like, I just want to hear about the case for optimism... I we'll do, get there quick. Well, we'll get there quick, but we also have in the show notes, I timestamp it. So you can oh, just great. scroll up and go exactly to that time where we start talking about the case for optimism. So it's just an FYI. Um, this is this is good, too. What yeah, we're about to talk about. Yeah, you don't want to miss this. Yeah, you, want, you don't want to miss this. Um, first thing is uh, Team Zen. We have a Zen Talk on Monday, January 10th at 11 a.m. It's Zen Talk number 135. It's just a community of people who really, really like our podcast that want to talk to us in real time and have a community that supports each other. So if you're interested, go to our website to find out more. I wanted to um, start with two of your Zen parenting moments, sweetie. Both of them? Well, we're just going to run through... The first one real quick. Okay. So two weeks ago, you did a Zen Parenting Moment, and you talked about different nonfiction books that uh, impacted you in 2021. Yeah. Basically, I just listed the 10, my 10 favorite nonfiction books. And I'm going to catch you off guard. Okay. I just want you to say one sentence about each one. Sure. No problem. The Awakened Brain by Lisa Miller. So. (coughs) First, I need you to cough. (laughs) That wasn't like a real cough. I like choked on my... It sounded like a real cough. Well, what I mean, it wasn't like a cough cough. It was just like a, I'm afraid I'm going to choke. Anyway, okay. nobody cares. Um, so The Awakened Brain was probably, I actually put it number one because I learned, I got the most data. Mm-hmm. Do you say data or data? I don't even like people who say data. Okay. So I got the most data because basically it's the focus on neurobiology and spirituality. Okay. And this, the book offers research and it's been a progression of research. Like it didn't just start, like it's been over the years about how we are hardwired for spirituality. Not, we're not talking about religion, even though she discusses religion and the difference between spirituality and religion, but she just shares how we are hardwired to understand that there's something bigger. And and this is the key to the book and that people who connect with that and find that alignment in themselves 
they are less likely to deal with addiction, less likely to deal with depression, less likely to deal with anxiety. It's a pretty significant book. That was what I like to call a run-on sentence. Sorry. I just, I had to, I, there's no like good way to summarize that book. There's so much in it. Number two, The Way of Integrity, Finding, uh, oh no, actually number two is Perennial Seller, The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. Okay, I can do this quick. You and I are reading this book together mm -hmm. because it's about making evergreen and resonant work for the world Boom. and how to, okay. The Way of Integrity, <laughs> Finding the Path to Your True Self by Martha Beck. Well, we did a show about this one, so I don't need to go too deep. No but, memory of that, but go ahead. Well, basically, let's let the title speak for itself, Finding Your Own Integrity. Adam Grant wrote a book called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. We also did a podcast about Think Again. I mention it a lot, but basically it's about the process of being open to unlearning and questioning your thinking. Uh, Welcome Home, A Guide to Building a Home for Your Soul by, I don't know how to pronounce this person's name, Najwa Zebian. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, she wrote a book about how to be more at home in ourselves rather than looking for homes inside other people. Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism by Amanda Montel. Um, that is a big piece. You know, I read cult books all the time, and this was about how language is used to get people to, it's not just about cults like, um, you know, Nexium or, or Scientology, or it's about things like Peloton and Instagram. And it's about all of it, mm -hmm. but how language is used to bring people in, make them feel like they belong, and then get them almost like addicted to that way of talking and thinking. Mm. Um, Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Species by a woman named Brene Brown. Yeah. So I think you and I should do more shows about this book because we really should dive into the emotions. But basically, she talks about 87 different emotions, how they interact with each other. Basically, she'll be like, the places we go when we're feeling overwhelmed. And then she gives like all these different emotions. And... Um, it's just a really good discussion book. Kate Bowler wrote a book called No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths I Need to Hear. Yeah. So Kate Bowler's book was about, it was kind of a continuation of her first book, you know, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Told Myself or, or Other Lies I Learned. And basically it's just about how she is moving through her own healing and her own wellness and her viewpoint. And she uses a lot of theology. Uh, Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry wrote a book called What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. So we also discussed this book on a, on a previous show, and basically it's just about understanding how trauma impacts our biology and neurobiology. And last but not least, Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger by Soraya Shamali. Soraya Chamale, right, exactly. She was actually on our show. We yeah. had Soraya on our show because I love this book so much. Her book actually came out in 2018, but I reread it last year because we asked her to be on our show. Mm -hmm. And basically it's about women's anger and rage and how we can use it for good. Mm. Very okay? good. Nice job. All right, and the other Zen parenting moment is called Resolutions. Mm -hmm. And uh, you always start with a quote, and this quote is uh, from a song I think called New Year's Day Correct. by Taylor Swift. Don't read the last page, but I stay. When you're lost and I'm scared and you're turning away, I want your midnights, but I'll be cleaning up bottles with you on New Year's Day. All right, there's, there's Taylor doing her thing. I love that. Something I love about Taylor's writing, and, and good writers know how to do this, is using ex life examples to mean something much deeper. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's like layered understanding of like, I'll be with you on New Year's Eve when we're partying and having a good time, but I'll also be with you when we're cleaning up messes. Yeah. Like, I just love that. I mean, I'm sure everybody got I that. I guess meta metaphor or symbolism. Metaphor, you know, analogies, and whatever. And just layers. Just it's just layers. Writing and having few different meanings in the same statement. Right. I love, and I, that's just deep, good, layered writing. So you wrote uh, a Zen parenting moment that comes out every Friday called Resolutions. Um, three things: you con concentrate on rest, normalizing discomfort, and asking for support and support 
and supporting others. I want to focus on rest because you didn't just do the, oh, you got to take naps and do self-care. Mm-hmm. You said it's occasionally about set, setting down heavy thoughts and decisions. Too many of us feel guilty when we rest so so much so that we jump up and pretend to be busy if we hear someone walk in the door. Do you ever do that? I used to do it all the time when our kids were little. Okay. And, you know, you'd be out doing whatever you're doing and I'd be in charge of the girls and I'd be like, whatever, on my phone uh-huh. or watching TV and the girls would be playing people with their dollhouse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I would get up and start interacting with them when I heard you come in, you know, driving right. the driver. Right, right, right. I so I that's... totally, yeah. Why are we afraid that our loved ones will think we are weak, lazy, and unmotivated? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That our value is only based on our ability to complete tasks. So I thought, I mean, all three of these things were good, but that's the one that spoke to me the most. Yeah. Anything you want to share? Um, you know, just that I think that rest means more than just going to bed on time. Mm-hmm. I'm big in getting enough sleep. I think seven for me, seven or eight hours helps me function at a level that I think is pretty effective. Um, and I think it keeps me, I think it, I'm healthiest with that. When I have five or six every once in a while, so what? It's not a big deal. But if I was that consistently, that'd be a problem. I'm not a big napper. Um, but I think of rest as like, you know what? You don't need to solve this right now. Yeah. You know, setting down things and the piece you just said, I just think so many, and I'm glad you said you do it too, because I think so many women, they tell me they do that. You know, they'll be at home and they'll actually get a chance to rest, even if there's no kids there. Mm-hmm. And then they'll hear someone come home and then they'll be like, I got to fold the towels. Well, busy is a badge of honor in in our society. Yeah. Yeah. And we also don't want to have that leverage, meaning that if, if we are seeing, if, if we are caught, Mm -hmm. I'm putting this in air quotes, resting, then we can't be like, can't you see how busy I am all the time? And I don't, and again, to your point, it's not just, it's not a gender specific thing. I think we're always trying to have some kind of leverage of like, I'm busy. And I think if we can practice throughout the day, setting things down emotionally, but also literally, maybe that could become more normalized Mm -hmm. and maybe everybody could pick up on the cue that they can do it too. Yeah. Um, And then before we go on to the main topic, normalizing discomfort, anything you want to share about that bullet point? Oh, just that, you know, that I I just think like right before the holidays, you know, with all the COVID stuff and travel and everything is just such a mess. And I think everybody's like, can you believe this? And I think we should get to the point where we're like, yeah. Yeah. That's called. Things are uncomfortable. Human. (laughs) Right. And it shouldn't be all the time. Mm -hmm. And and it's not something that we should be like, oh, yeah, I expect there's a difference between normalizing and expecting. Mm -hmm. Like expecting is the sense of like. I'm going to assume, like, I don't know if any of you have seen Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, but there's this point where MJ talks about how she's like, I'd just rather assume everything's going to go bad than be disappointed. Mm -hmm. She has a different way of saying it, but, you know, and Spider-Man is actually, um, Tom Holland actually discourages her from thinking like that, like assume things are going to go well, you know? Um, But she just has been so disappointed in her life that she's like, I don't even want to be optimistic. Mm -hmm. So that's very different. What I'm talking about is when things happen, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today in the podcast, the, you know, the, a case for, or the case for optimism is to normalize that things do happen and that it's not personal. It's not about just you and that there are ways through it. And that sometimes the little things that were like, oh my gosh, now the whole day is ruined. That's not true. Um, like we have family members right now who are trying to get home, who's like flight keeps getting canceled and they keep running into things. And the thing I know is they're probably so frustrated, but they're resilient crew. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And yep. I just know that that it's hard and it sucks, but it'll be a story someday. And and again, I'm not talking about life or death issues here. Sure. That becomes more difficult. But I think we all have more we're more resilient than we think we are. And if we could normalize uncomfortable things, one thing I said in there that I thought was was good and is one of my daughters part of her journaling experience at night is she journals about things or a thing that was uncomfortable during the day, like an awkward conversation or something she forgot to do or when a teacher like said something to her and it was uncomfortable and she writes about it. So then she can say what she did. Mm -hmm. And sometimes she doesn't do something great. Sometimes she just leaves it awkward and she's like, Oh, it's so awkward. But what she realizes is that things happen every day and she gets through it. Yeah, it's not just her uncomfortable moments. It's how she deals with those moments. It's how she deals with them, yeah. 
Um, okay. Okay. So, and and I know that there was an intro at the beginning of this podcast, but don't forget to sign up for Zen Parenting Summit. It's 27 days away. Yeah. And, and on top of that, um, my book actually comes out on February 1st. So if you've ordered it, it's coming in less than a month. And will it come on that day? Yes. So in cool? other words, they ship it earlier than when it comes out. Yeah, they've so already, it arrives that uh, day. My publisher said they already have them. No. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I guess I don't know how mail works. Here's so the mail. It, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Yes. Is that, that from, sweetie? Blue's Clues. It is from Blue's Clues. Uh, okay. The case for optimism. Why did you decide that this is what we're going to talk about today? Because it's January? Because it's January, and I think that uh, I just, you know, I'm kind of like reading things and talking to people and everyone's like, oh, you know, and I felt that way too. You know, everything is, seems like it sucks, but I was reading the Washington post three or four days ago. And I said to my, I was sitting next to my sister and I said, gosh, every article in the post has a hint of optimism to it. Like, here's how we're going to do this next year. Here's something that's working here. And it really made me feel good. And she goes, really? Mm. Like we both kind of went through it and I just realized how, and also Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart, she her first she talks about hope in one of the sections, and her first sentence is, "We need hope like we need air." Mm. So I think we forget that, and hope isn't an airy thing. Hope is the understanding and the belief that there's always something else, and that we can get to another place if we are in a place we don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk about like a few of these things that that I think are the case for optimism. Yeah. Are you going to play me something? Well, um, I was going to... You know what, Toddy? Raise up your microphone because I can't hear you in my earphones. I thought you were going to say raise the roof. You could raise the roof, but I now I can hear you much better. Mm-hmm. This is from Shawshank. Okay, let's hear it. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's, a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. You got to know that movie to know what that last line meant, but. Well, and you know, Red does not, he thinks hope is going to hurt people. He thinks it'll hurt him. Yeah, because they are in a hopeless, what they would think, a hopeless situation. Now, I'm not going to play the clip, but at the end of the movie or towards the end Uh. of the movie, he said, hope, uh, Andy says to um, Red in a letter, I think hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. Mm -hmm. And without hope, not to ruin Shawshank, but Red would have never gone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like if he was a hopeless person like like Brooks, mm-hmm. who they were talking about, mm-hmm. he would have never continued. Mm-hmm. You know, Andy gave him something to be hopeful for, and that allowed him to keep going and live. Yeah. And Shawshank is, that's why everybody loves Shawshank. Todd, I know. Because it's it, the message of hope in a very dark space. Um and and I, you know, I think everybody's having different experiences right now. I can't say that everybody is having dealing with the dark. I mean, we just came out of the holiday season and, you know, now we're in New Year's and some people might be super optimistic already, but I wanted to share some things that I think um, might be helpful for those who are feeling like, what do we have to look at? Yeah. And then I, I think I have the, the one where Andy actually says hope is a good thing here. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. This is true. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. Um, the only thing I have to share in this podcast that offhand is the optimism versus pessimism. And then I know that you got some things that you wanted to share with us. Um, what I learned, and I think that I got this from Tony Robbins way back when, the difference between pessimists and optimists, because my dad's sometimes like, Dad, I said, Dad, why are you going to be so pessimistic? He's like, no, I'm just being a realist. Mm, and that's, always, that's always what people always say. Always drives me nuts. Mm, me too. What, what Tony Robbins said at one point was that 
I don't know if it was a scientific study or just a belief, but uh, pessimists usually are a little bit more accurate regarding the reality of the situation. But what he said is pessimists see the situation for what it is and optimists see the situation for what it can be. Mm-hmm. And the world changers are the optimists. Always, so. because they see it in a different way. And and I also, I, I, you know, I appreciate what you're sharing, but I also, when people are like, well, I'm just seeing it the way it is. That's such a flat, binary, like I'm saying flat. Black and white. Black and white. I'm, I'm trying to give all the angles. It's so flat. Mm-hmm. Like there's a million ways to look at things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And depending on who you are and where you're standing at any particular time, it looks differently. And so I don't think we can even be as, like I like what you just said, but I think we could even break all that apart. Yeah, even that first thing is pessimists are actually more accurate. Yeah. That may or may not be true. And I think he's using data, yeah. you know, to say this is blah, blah, blah. Data but, or data? I don't know. I'm just kidding. I think I say data. So, but but Todd, on that note, I do want to say that we're not going to talk about toxic positivity. Well, okay. I am going to share what that is, but what I'm doing here is not attempting to be toxically positive. Why don't you explain what that okay. means? I actually, I wrote down a few things so it would make it a little easier. So um, toxic positivity is like when something bad happens, like you're losing your job or whatever, or someone's sick and people are like, just stay positive. Look on the bright side, align with your inner self. And while these comments are are meant to be helpful, they're kind of a way of shutting down any kind of conversation or any kind of difficult feeling that you're having. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. Is, oh, oh, I have some experience some people in my life and even, even me, I'm sometimes toxically positive. And what I do is I, I circumvent the feeling in, in an effort to be positive. So that's an important distinction for me is I need to feel the feelings first Absolutely. and then I can go ahead and be positive, but I don't want to step around the feeling. And, and that's the thing is when we jump over, when we say, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be the, the chronically calm one. I'm going to be the, the one who sees the sun. I, it, it's lovely mm-hmm. if you can help people find that eventually. But if you jump in with just stay positive, then you are shutting down a person's ability to share all of their feelings. Yeah. And so, or, you know, like talking about Kate Bowler's book before, like when people, when you've experienced a loss, which we all have over the last couple of years, and someone says, everything happens for a reason, you know, is that true? Like, does it, like, we can sometimes look back at our lives and be like, what an interesting uh, array of things that happened that led me to this place. But I don't look at my I'll just use probably the most dramatic example in my life of my dad being sick for 17 years is like, yay. But did I learn things? Yes. I I don't know. And maybe there's some places where the everything happens for a reason comment works. Mm -hmm. And I probably used to say it. I don't say that anymore. I know. You know what, Todd? I bet if you went back to our first five years of this show, we've been doing it for 11 years. A first maybe couple years. I bet we said stuff like that. and And I think like... In extreme situations, like oh, your dad was sick for 17 years. Everything happens for a reason. I think that's like the least empathic thing you can say. Right. So anyway. Because what people are doing is avoiding my pain. Yeah. Right? They're like, let's just bypass mm-hmm. that and let's avoid what you're telling me and let's just put a bow on it. Yeah. And, and I think that even though a, one person can choose for themselves if that is the case for them after they've felt all these things. Yeah, and if they don't tell me, right, but everything. don't tell me. Um, and then this is the one that I was actually talking about this today, Todd, with, um, it, you know, a post that I saw, like, as I was, mm-hmm. you know, scrolling through social networking, when people say, like, if you're feeling disappointment or sadness, and someone says, happiness is a choice, mm-hmm. you know, like, you have to believe it and think it and align it. And it's very the secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm putting, you know, the book, the secret, and it's very like law of attraction. And here's the thing that's interesting. I'm not throwing those ideas out. Right. Because I do believe that we are energy and, you know, but I also don't think we have to pretend that we have sad times and disappointing times. I think the more real we are with all of our feelings, the more we can get to an authentic place of joy. I think you can say happiness is a choice from a place of 
consciousness or openness. And you could also say happiness is a choice from a place of closeness and judgment. I remember, I think I said that at my brother's wedding. I was like the best man. And I think I said, I don't know, I probably read it in a book that week. And I'm like, you know, hey, here's my words of wisdom for the night. Happiness is a choice. And I don't, I don't think that was coming from particularly the, the best place. But, um, so I, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's more from where is this coming from? Right. Because like, again, that comment, happiness is a choice. We can pull this apart. Like happiness is a strong word for people because people think that's a place where they're supposed to be all the time. And that's the, that's the problem right there is what happiness means to people. And every marketing person, advertising person is selling happiness Mm -hmm. to us. And so we think it's something that we need to not only get, but then hold Mm -hmm. and that any other feeling means we have a problem or we need a new sunscreen. You know what I mean? Like we just, we're constantly looking instead of normal, like normalizing discomfort, like you're going to get sad. You're going to, you're going to grieve. You're going to have disappointment and frustration. And that in itself, like one of the other things, and I actually think this is Brene as well, is when people share a story and they'll be like, oh, I was frustrated. But then I realized like they, they solve it so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like you don't really see them in the challenge. Yeah. They just jump to why they're a hero now. Right. And there's such a, and, and they don't, I don't mean in social networking, we need to share every vulnerable moment we've sure. had, but there needs to be more of a human experience. A human experience. You can tell. I mean, Todd knows this. Like I can read something and be like, eh, mm-hmm. not be, it, it, there's like a genuine thing that comes through with people's writing for me where I'm like, I don't think this person really <laughs> Yeah. Well, if nothing else, it just doesn't, it's not something you connect with. No, exactly. Yeah. Regard, it's not about that I'm saying they're lying. Yeah. It's just that there's this thing I feel where I'm like, this feels so genuine, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so basically, the bottom line with this one is to tell someone it's their fault for not choosing happiness is a shaming mm-hmm. experience. So why toxic, why toxic positivity can be harmful, we don't have to go as deep, but... It can harm people who are going through difficult times, um, tell them that their feelings that they have beyond happiness are not seen, heard, valued. It's shaming. It can cause guilt. Um, It avoids authentic human connection and emotion. It prevents growth, Mm -hmm. interestingly, because if we avoid all the feelings that might be painful, it denies us the ability to face the feelings that we're having and deal with them. We cannot transform what we cannot accept. And if yes. we're not accepting something, then there's not going to be any growth. So it's interesting. I'm someone who has said my whole life, I'm talking through like college. I talk about positive vibes a lot. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of things in my office about positive vibes. And I and I text that to people. But when I see positive vibes only, mm-hmm. that's a turnoff to yeah. me. Because positive bi- vibes means I'm giving you something I have and I'm wanting that for you. Yeah. But if I said positive vibes only, mm-hmm. that means that's the only thing that I want to hear and that's false. I think I, I don't know if you noticed this, we were on the airplane today together mm-hmm. and there's a woman that walked past us and she had a t-shirt on and it said good days only. Mm. And it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. like. If we're expecting to have good days only, mm-hmm. that's not what we were born into. Hopefully we have more good days than bad, but good days only or good vibes only is for me not the way I experience the world. I remember when back in the old days when you and I used to present to groups of people, it seems like we don't do that anymore mm-hmm. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I would always say, what do you want your kids to be? Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody was like happy mm-hmm. or successful or whatever. And then I ended up saying, like, I, I want my kids to be whole. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Comfortable emotions and uncomfortable emotions. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you're talking about um, in your Zen Parenting moment, how uh, one of our kids was journaling about their uncomfortable yeah. moments. Their and awk accept moments. Accept it yeah. and acknowledge it and write about it anyway. And realize that there's some humor in it and realize that they can handle it. and realize Because some kids' awkward moments or embarrassing moments are traumatizing to them because they can't, they feel so vulnerable and so exposed. And if we can have, you know, moments where it can still be awkward and uncomfortable and we can even cry about it and be disappointed, talk about it. But if we realize that we're always getting through it, like 
you guys know that you've survived 100% of your days. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And, th- and that sounds like such a toxic positivity thing to say, but I, re- I really mean it. Like, we've survived. So if you're here listening to this, you've made it through. Yeah. So it doesn't, doesn't mean, though, that you made it through with no challenge. It means you've made it through. So... Um, so that's so this these things are not toxic positivity because covid is brutal. Todd and I just returned from very warm weather to 15 degree Chicago weather even though we kind of dig it. I have to say I'm a midwestern person so I mean cold weather's hard but I also have a love for it. It mm. smells so good, you mm-hmm. know. Um and people are struggling financially and people are struggling with work and sickness and you know, connection and the emails Todd and I get all the time about help with this and help, you know, like these, all these things are true and real and I see them every day and so does Todd and we know that. Mm. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to focus on some things that are, are reasons to be optimistic. You ready? Let's hear them. Okay. Are you doing like any kind of um, drum roll for me or should we just go through? Okay. So this is an interesting one to me. 2021 from the University of Michigan, which is not too far from us, it found that 70% of Americans over 50 said they felt either the same level of resilience as before the pandemic and that resilience was defined as overcoming challenges, et cetera. And 15% of these people said they actually felt more resilient which means that they realize they're going to get through things, not just things like the pandemic, but daily experiences more often. Mm-hmm. They, the statement is from them is, I managed to live through this and I am better for it. Yeah. Now, this is not a everything happens for a reason. This is that people are actually like, hey, if I did this, then I can do a lot more than I thought I could. Yeah, and if you would have said to us, six months before COVID hit, hey, this many people are going to die. Right. This is going to be the impact right. on the economy. Right. This is going to be the impact on your job. This is right. going to be the impact of how you go to the grocery store. I'd be like, I'm going to go move into the forest. Right. I don't want to be a part of this world. And yet we didn't. And yeah. on a day-to-day basis, we made it through. We did. So I really liked that. And on top of that, another one, Todd. This, mm-hmm. this. So, Do you want a drum yeah, roll? Yeah, sure. Take it. We need you to just stop for a second and realize that Pfizer, Moderna, and even Johnson & Johnson, I know that people aren't recommending it as much anymore, but they have been huge game changers. And that these are, as I read like three, I was, this is over the course of the last week, I was reading a lot about vaccines, and they are literally considered in the scientific community a marvel of science. Mm-hmm. I think we are fighting so much about who's getting vaccinated and who's not that we are missing what occurred. Yeah. And I don't know much about any of this other than in in pre-COVID, it would take years to develop any type of Thank vaccination. You. And and this and safely. safely. And that's the thing is that these we know we have all this research now. And people's lives are being saved by these things. And and I know, again, people are arguing or they don't want to take it or they want to wait. But for those who want to take it, this is amazing. I mean, the fact that science has done this and on top of this, because so Pfizer and Moderna are considered RNA vaccines. They often call them the mRNA. Mm -hmm. And the use of these vaccines, mRNA, have like intrigued scientists forever. Like they've been kind of work. This is why we were able to do it so fast mm-hmm. because they've been, they didn't like start from scratch yeah. when the pandemic came along. They used the knowledge that they had been gaining. And listen to this. They have found researchers now think they can use RNA, mRNA, to rapidly create safe and effective vaccines to treat cancer. Uh-huh. because of, of this COVID. experience of the pandemic. For some reason, that reminds me of, uh, I remember Tom Hanks or Ron Howard were having a debate with Dennis Miller about, you know, why we put all this money into the space program. Yeah. And although they were trying to launch a rocket in outer space and land on the moon, what the amount of inventions that came as a result. Tang. Of, <laughs> <laughs> Other than Tang, I think the cell phone wouldn't have been here nearly as quickly Correct. had it not been for us trying to go up into outer space. So kind of like, all right, we, it doesn't sound like we were trying to cure cancer, and obviously we got a long way to go. But because of COVID, we are now in a position 
to be able to do things that we otherwise would not be able to do. So, Todd, this one will be very close to your heart. All Listen right. to this. You don't need to do another drum roll because it's about the same thing. One example is at, uh, it's called Memorial Sloan Ketterling, Can- Kettering Cancer Center. There's a trial underway right now testing the mRNA vaccines against pancreatic cancer. Mm. And that's one of the deadliest malignancies, just so you guys know. They're actually one year ahead of schedule despite all the challenges from this pandemic. Mm. So we may be seeing benefits from this research fairly soon. Yeah. And I that mean, is, yeah, that hits me hard because I lost my stepdad to pancreatic cancer and I know a lot of people out there have been impacted by it and it's just a nasty one to battle with. Yeah, yeah. because you don't find it until, until it's it's yeah. yeah. And they don't have a test like colonoscopy right. to, you know, it's just a it's it's, it's a rough wait. one, but the the mRNA vaccine can possibly help He's, us yeah. with cancer. There I mean, go. it's just amazing. So, another thing as far as our our health, but this is about mental health. Oh, do do the drum roll oh. for me. So I think everybody will know this, but because of, so it's interesting. I'm going to back up a little bit. When I first was in school to become a parent coach, I did a graduate program for parent coaching. I remember the whole thing was to be done over the phone. Mm -hmm. Like the big thing was geography is not an issue. We're going to do this over the phone. And as someone who had been trained as a therapist, and I always saw people in an office, it was like crazy to me Mm -hmm. that I was going to do coaching on the phone. Right. Now, of course, I started doing it and I saw, I realized how effective it was and et cetera. But what's really driven this whole like teletherapy thing was the pandemic. And now we have access to online therapy. Now, the the big thing is, is that, what am I trying to say? Insurance companies are going to continue paying for it. See, I don't know if you guys know this, but initially when the pandemic hit, insurance companies are like, okay, we'll do the online therapy for now until people can get back in the office. But now, at least the insurance companies I know of, like Mm -hmm. I'm sure people may say, no, that's not the case for mine. But now insurance companies will continue to pay for online teletherapy. And this is amazing, everybody. The fact that someone doesn't have to go to an office and that they can go to, you know, to a link and be like, I need to meet with someone tomorrow and it doesn't matter where they're located or Mm -hmm. that's not always true. We kind of learned that sometimes you have to be with someone who is um, licensed in your state. But there's certain things, but it's more open than it was before. So that's pretty huge. Sure. Okay. So more people are getting access and to I, mental and, health care. And I know some people will say, but yeah, we're now we're struggling more mentally, mm-hmm. mental health wise because of the pandemic. And there is some truth to that, um, statistically. But again, the access is could help us balance this out. Sure. Let's just case for optimism, yes. right? Okay. So you'll like this one too. Drum roll. Okay, yes. So We've always known this. People have always said this, but now we have the data to back up that if we can find any version of the outdoors, like any version of a being outdoors, it improves our mental health. Mm. Now, because of the pandemic, we have this data to, yeah. to, that more people start eating outside, meeting outside, doing, you know, joining each other outside. And, it, and they found that it improves our physical health, our cardiovascular health. And that even just over the last two years, people have said they feel better because they've been outside more. Yeah. And that's one of those studies. I'm like, uh, I don't know how much money we spent on that study. Like, it's so funny. Like some studies, I'm like, um, I can't believe anybody's spending money because we. it's common, normal logic to agree with it. Yet at the same time, I understand science is important and the scientific method and all that. But Well, think about it this way. Like it's the data. So we can be like, okay, got it. But like, I'm thinking about all of our towns and cities, people, restaurants have moved tables out into the street and we have like blocked off streets so people can eat outside and enjoy each other outside. And yes, that was driven by the pandemic, but but maybe when things uh, normalize a bit, we're outside more, we're still outside, more outdoor patio heaters out there and everything else. So So it, and you know, more like, Hey, let's meet around the fire. Mm -hmm. It just, it put us in a new thought process. Okay. So the next one, this is one that I think got overlooked last year. That is huge that I wrote down that I want to make sure I shared one of the most exciting things that happened in 2021 that we're going to continue to see the effects of Mm -hmm. is that the world health organization approved the first malaria vaccine. Mm. Did you know that? 
I did not, and it's one of those things like, oh, I don't have to worry about it because I don't live in Africa or South America wherever malaria is big, but it's probably a game changer to so many human lives. Malaria kills 650,000 people every year, more than half of them children under five, yeah. and remains one of the leading causes of death in low-income countries. I think Bill Gates is a big part of all He that is. Stuff. Actually, a few of these things that I've written down were from Bill Gates' newsletter. Mm -hmm. So just a few of them, but I that may be where I got that one. Yeah. Um, so... That's wonderful. So we may say, see, and the, the idea that, you know, and I know you were being, you were trying to make a point, but the idea that we aren't affected by that, are you kidding? Mm. Like when people across the world are dying, half a million people are dying every year, especially children, we feel the effects of that, yeah. you know, in many different ways. Mm. So energetically to start with. So here's an interesting one. Okay. You can do a drum roll for this one. So the, the, the case for optimism. The good news is that the world no longer needs to be persuaded that stopping a pandemic is important. <laughs> Say that one more time. The world no longer needs to be persuaded that stopping a pandemic is important. Yeah. Let me explain what I mean by that. Do you remember Barack Obama talking about the possibility of a pandemic? Vaguely. Okay. And I'm sure there were plenty of presidents before sure. him that did too. I just remember him talking about it. And we were like, whatever. And like Ebola mm -hmm. like showed up for a little bit and then it got taken care of. Yeah. And we were like, okay, good. Take care yeah. of it. I think now we get it. Yeah. And we're going to give it its attention. Thank you. Yeah. And so I think what, and actually I think the, both these things, Todd, came from Bill Gates because I'm remembering his language was now that we get it, things are going to happen faster. Right. Because we have been harmed right by covid right. and have seen the its effects. effects right this is is this our first pandemic oh, i mean smallpox and all that whatever whenever that happened but first one in a long time that infected that impacted so many countries Everybody. and continents right it impacted all of us yeah. and so there's going to be broad support for pandemic preparedness, yeah. right? Like we are going right. to, you know, there's going to be things where I know some people will still fight things and be contrarians. Sure. It, it, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but the people who are who are on the front lines of keeping us safe, if that be the government and, you know, healthcare workers or whatever, we're going to have systems sure. in place, starting with things like the marvel of science of vaccines, yeah. okay? Next time so, this happens, we'll be much Much more prepared. Yeah. Exactly, like... I don't think we'll ever, you know, as we've discussed, we haven't had an experience like this since the Spanish flu. Sure. So nobody knew what to do. It was only 100-year-olds who were like, yep, yeah, Hopefully we don't this. forget about this one. Yeah, right? I know. We tend to be forgetful. But so um, let's see. Um, Anything else? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a few more, but I just, I'm skipping through some that are kind of repetitious. Oh, this was good. This was actually something that I read an article and it, and Bill Gates was, happened to be here too, but the, this is more about the climate control. Mm -hmm. So there was a, in Scotland recently, there was a climate change, um, like conference. Yeah. Okay. And I remember reading that people were fighting and that it wasn't going well mm. and that people weren't, you know, that yeah. it, it wasn't very helpful. But the truth is when they broke it down, um, it says the result was a number of important steps, new commitments to investing in clean technologies, pledges to cut methane emissions and end deforestation by the end of the decade and the creation of a coalition that will help farmers adapt. Mm. So we can look at, the fighting or the disagreement about where the money should go. But really this, it's called the COP 26 climate conference. Okay. Things happened. Happened. Yeah. Things, changes were made that are international, global. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's good news. Yeah. Countries are coming together yeah. and pledging yeah. certain things. Like I've heard a little bit about, you know, they are by 2032, they're going to blah, 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 blah. Like they're all, 
ideas and moving in a direction to do those things. Right. Yeah. And I think we only hear the things that fail or yeah. fall or don't work. Not and fast enough. Not fast enough, which may be true. true. I'm sure there's plenty of people who are like, that's great, but mm-hmm. we need to do more. But what if we start and we can speed it up because things are working? Yeah. Like, I have this belief that I, I wish I knew more about, besides my own um, fo- you know, carbon footprint and everything, I wish I knew more about how to help with you know, climate change, because it obviously is uh, very frightening to me as well. And sometimes I see, you know, I I get overwhelmed by the news, but then I see things that people make. Like, I remember last year you and I did a show where we talked about it briefly about this guy who figured out how to remove plastic from the ocean. Mm -hmm. And he made this contraption that he would go into the ocean and just remove all this plastic with this contraption. It was amazing. It was like a big net or something like that. And now... You know, it's a little like throwing the starfish back in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, people are probably say that's not going to be enough, yeah. but it might be enough for this starfish. That's how you we know? start. That's right. how we start. So, okay. So another thing, Todd, this is kind of yeah, important to me. <laughs> Alzheimer's diagnostics. Okay. Listen to this. Huge progress has been made on this front lately. Um, there is a, there's a decent chance that the first affordable, accessible blood test for, for Alzheimer's will get approved in 2022. Mm, it's crazy. Can you believe that? It's like, now that doesn't say, okay, and then here's how we're going to solve it. Like it doesn't say, but it's kind of like people can find out if that's what they're dealing yeah. with. And that's pretty significant. And basically they're saying that the test will accelerate the progress for treatment. Sure. That you got to do one thing before the other. Right, right, right. Okay? That's awesome. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay, so two more things. You ready? Yep. Uh, three more things, but they're they're brief. I need my drums. Oh, sorry. I think we all know this already, but I had to add it in because it drives me crazy when people say that nothing has happened in government. Infrastructure. Mm. There is a bill that passed $1 trillion to upgrade roads, trains, electricity, and all other infrastructure. It it will take a long time, like it's going to be over many years, sure. but it's the legislation is the most significant effort in decades to solve long-term problems like poor internet access, inefficient public transportation. Like it is a change. Yeah. So yeah, and it's been long overdue. Long overdue. From both sides of the aisle. Like it they just reminds couldn't figure out how to get it done. Right. It reminds me of healthcare, mm-hmm. where like, you know, when when we finally got what we called Obamacare, or you know, we we'd been waiting for it for so long. And this is something that sometimes we're like, well, I can't really feel that immediately. Yeah. But it is going to make a difference in your town, in sure. your city, and jobs. Yeah. Okay, so two more. This is a really quick one. Americans are starting new businesses at the fastest pace in years. Mm. The pandemic helped end a many, like a multi-decade slump in new startups. Mm. That's good. So that means that there are like a lot of people like, what does it say? This year, business applications in the U.S. are on track to surpass 5.4 million. So every time you hear that people are like leaving their job Mm. or, you know, the industry is going away or whatever... Things are changing, yeah. but people are looking for new avenues of work. Well, and small businesses are the backbone of this economy anyway. So exactly. the fact that there's a lot more people out there that are starting their own thing, I would assume that that is good, not just for the economy, but good for the individual. They're creating businesses that they want to do versus the job that our parents used to do and they hated going to work totally. and they just kept going because they didn't have any other choice. More joy and energy in their job. Sure. Job creators. <laughs> not a big fan of that language okay anyway the last one todd this is a little like lighter but hope remains for the movie industry oh spider-man no way home had a 250 million opening weekend in the middle of the omicron surge yeah i can't believe that that's just crazy to me i can't believe that i know so this is good news for the industry because people were starting to say nobody wants to. And I know yeah. it's Marvel, but, you know, well, people didn't come out for Black Widow as much, even though that makes me mad because they actually kind of screwed her deal mm-hmm. because they put she it. She sued Disney. Yeah, she did. They put it on um, streaming. Pay-per-view or streaming. So yeah. ta- I take back that comment because that wasn't a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still Marvel. Sure. 
Um, but still, like people want it, like think about it this way. They wanted a shared cultural moment. There you go. And we were so excited to yeah. go see that movie all masked up. Um, but it's it suggests that the movie industry may find its way. And at least our movie theater is giving us nice, comfortable seats to sit in. I know. They had the hot and the cold and they reclined back, which is great for most. Not necessarily me because I tend to... You go to sleep. I tend to... I know. Well, have you ever heard... Um, What's his name? Um, I want to say, I'm, I'm thinking of the wrong person. Help me. Uh, Pulp Fiction. John Travolta. No, no, no. The director. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Tarantino, I've heard a few interviews with him, and he can't stand these theaters. Mm-hmm. He likes the like the the dirty, like yeah. old theater where you have to sit up straight. And, mm-hmm. things, and he's actually bought a few theaters. Oh, wow. I don't know if it's in LA or New York to keep them going because mm-hmm. they're they're not these new fancy dancing yeah. theaters. Um, he had some he had some reasons to why besides the fact that he just liked the old school. He's like it's a better experience. I don't know why, but anyway. Yeah, I'm not going there. I like sitting in comfortable chairs. So I really like putting my feet up. I like the sticky floor aspect. You like the sticky just floor? Kidding. Okay. So Todd, those are that's the case for optimism. Nice job, sweetie. And that's like me just reading over the last week articles and stuff like there's so many other things what's wrong is always available and so is what's right right and we can see both and hold them both Mm -hmm. without disregarding the other yeah that's the way that i look at it and i just think even one thing i didn't write down but i'll say is that i also think one thing that's really good that's come out of the last couple of years is talking about mental health and talking about our emotions and the fact that we're becoming more emotionally literate. We're becoming uh, more emotionally intelligent. We are learning how to self-regulate. We are learning how to see ourselves and have some self-awareness about how we present and how we feel and getting rid of the shame about it and focusing more on what it means and why and that's a road. Yeah. Like there's no end to that, but it's sure better than pretending. Yes. And um, I'm very optimistic about that. I am too, sweetie. Nice job. Um, I, before we close, uh-huh. uh, we have a Zen talk on Monday. A few, just so you know what we talk about on these Zen talks. The last one we did, we, we talked about self-harming and neurodiverse kids. The one before that, it was a special on teenagers, sibling tension, appropriate clothing and body image issues. And the one before that, we talked about out of rhythm partnerships, screen times, curfews, and anxiety. So if any of those topics are present in your household, maybe you can join us for Teams Ed. First month is free. Just type in the coupon code FRIEND. Um, and uh, Men Living, uh, that's a, I'm the executive director of that organization. And it's, an in, it's a virtual and in-person community of guys connecting deeply, authentically, vulnerably. And then lastly, don't forget about the bald-headed beauty, Jeremy Kraft. Uh, he does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, avico.net. Uh, anything else before we close? I think that's it. Sign up for the summit. It's in your show notes. First name, last name, email, and then you'll that's get it. it. And you'll get some emails from us January 31st. Through February 4th. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. Remember to register for our Zen Parenting Virtual Summit, where you will learn from 15 thought leaders and learn more about Kathy's book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering my new book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com resources. It's our new page where you can find everything we do in one place. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.